Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. here on this Wednesday edition of the show continuing to recap the 2019 NFL draft specifically looking at the Redskins and Giants today Kyle welcome thank you I I think fans have a certain expectation of what they're going to get on this episode because of my standoff with Giants Twitter Uh, but I think they'll be disappointed relatively speaking because I look at these two draft classes combined, Joe. These two teams combined brought home nine of my top 100 players. So it's a pretty fair representation across the board as far as the talent that these teams were able to acquire. From a general perspective, and and this comes from experience, having been the fan of a team that took a quarterback that many people disagreed with high in the draft last year, fans don't want to hear negativity about their top 10 quarterback. They just don't want to, whether it's warranted or not, whether it comes from an an informed background, a well-researched opinion, they don't want to hear bad things about him. And so uh, the Giants fans are willing to even go after people for not criticizing a player, but a video about a player. So yeah, that's how it goes, man. It's very true. Uh, And so much is to say that if you, do have criticisms you're no longer qualified to have an opinion and you don't have an educated opinion if they only knew how much you like deandre baker and dexter lawrence right (laughs) relative to the general consensus and and that's what we're going to talk about today this this class as a whole joe should we start with the giants we should we should because i'm looking further down this list i know you like julian love too so (laughs) there's a lot of good picks here from from you except for your disagreements here with obviously daniel jones which is an opinion shared by most to be honest with with you right right so let's not act like i'm reinventing the wheel here by picking jones at six uh i'm gonna gloss over daniel jones i'm sure we'll get an excuse to talk about him but i do want to talk about uh, their other two first-round picks, Dexter Lawrence at 17 and DeAndre Baker at 30. Uh, I had Dexter Lawrence 37th on my board, but with that said, I appreciate the fact that a team saw what he can be because I think we're only getting glimpses of what Dexter Lawrence can be as a football player. I want to see him cut, cut a little bit of weight. Yeah. There's no reason for him to play at 340 pounds. I want to see what Lawrence looks like at 320. And, and I think... They've really solidified the defensive interior here. Uh, they took Dalvin Tomlinson. He was a second-round pick, right? Yeah. So they've got Tomlinson and, and Lawrence as two heavy hitters in the middle now. and It seems like that's that's really what they want. They want physical stout play up front on both sides of the football, and they've got it. They, they've got that with Dexter Lawrence, and I don't have any problems with this selection at all, but DeAndre Baker, for me, 
uh, was my second rated corner in this class. I had him 21st overall, my personal board. They got him at 30. So it's a plus value. And, um, uh, Baker is somebody who, as long as you keep his head on straight and he plays motivated, he's going to be really good. I, I like what he brings to the ta- to the table as far as tackling and physicality. And you just can't play. You, he just cannot be a player that you play off soft coverage and ask and expect him to be able to click and close because he doesn't quite have that kind of short air explosiveness. But if you let him stay sticky to bodies and play hip to hip with receivers. I think DeAndre Baker has the chance, a chance to be one of the best corners in this class, and he was CB1 this year. And uh, I appreciate that, considering they got him at a value lower than where I personally would have valued him and would have considered him as a player. Kyle, the investments by the Giants on cornerbacks in this year's draft is pretty crazy. They invested four picks on cornerbacks. Obviously, DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, who they took in the supplemental draft, forfeiting pick number 71 in the draft. Julian Love, the cornerback from Notre Dame, as well as Corey Ballantyne, a sleeper from Washington, who has all the physical traits you can look for. And so it's interesting because I think this brings up a discussion that uh, someone asked me about on Twitter yesterday about, you know, is the NFL starting to value coverage more than edge rusher? Because when you looked at this defense going into the draft, you had big questions about both spots. And I know that they used a top 100 pick on O'Shane Ziminis, which will help their pass rushing situation. But it really feels like that, that the giants are subscribing to, Hey, we need a lot of people that can cover and we'll, we'll, we'll count on that being true. And then allowing the time for the pass rush to get home. So I think we're seeing a lot of teams kind of doing this. Maybe you can even make a case with the Patriots have done this uh, as well, where it's, Hey, we want matchup guys on the back end. And if we can get some heavy-handed dudes that can collapse the pocket and really condense things around the quarterback, that that's a philosophical change that we're going with. And I think it's been in the past, it's kind of been that mentality of, hey, we can hide a bad secondary behind a good pass rush. It feels like that's changing a little bit. And, and the Giants certainly personify that with the way that they attack this year's draft. No question, Joe. You mentioned uh, the, the help that they recruited in O'Shane Zimenez. I don't recall off the top of my head. Were you were you a fan of Zimenez? I think he was about where I would take him. Late day two, early day three. Recognize that he does have some skills there. But, I mean, the thing about mid-round pass rushers is they typically don't pan out. And so I don't know that we can look at him, even though he's a top 100 pick, and say this is going to be anything more than a situational rusher. And that's kind of how I feel about him. I'm not quite – the ceiling that you are, I would not have considered him on uh, the end of day two. He was firmly a a day three prospect for me. Uh, That was the first pick that they had that felt like an egregious pick. Like you can justify the Daniel Jones pick, right? You understand the thought process there. You see the parallels that are there. Uh, Is it rich? Yeah. Is it too rich for my blood? Yeah. I wouldn't have pulled the trigger there. But Zimenez was the first one that I was like, it felt like a gut punch. Like, ooh. You picked 95 and you came away with Zimenez. For me, I just think he's got a long way to go as far as I don't think he has elite physical tools. I didn't think he was super consistent as far as playing off of contact or contact or setting up pass rushers. I thought he did a nice job at Old Dominion really being uh, an alpha on a, a big fish in a small pond. And all of a sudden, you're not a big fish in a small pond with the New York right. Giants. Right. You, know, you got to go rush against Tyron Smith now. 
you got to go rush against uh, Lane Johnson now. Uh, Peters, good luck. Though, heck, even the Washington Redskins have uh, Morgan Moses on one side and Trent Williams on the other side. So, big, big leap for O'Shane Zimenez. Uh, if they can get him to turn himself around, that's a huge win for the Giants, but I think that's a very large leap and something we shouldn't expect from him at least very early on in his pro career. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way that the Giants attack this draft, of course, leading off with Daniel Jones at number six, they really kind of took themselves out of that opportunity to get that impact pass rusher. And this is kind of what you settle for. If, if you wait on pass rushers, they go quick. And right. they obviously felt like Daniel Jones was worthy of that pick and, and certainly, again, took themselves right out of that discussion. And you see guys like Cleveland Farrell going at number four. You know, th- this edge rusher situation got swallowed up in terms of the quality prospects pretty quick. And and that's that was the trade-off with Daniel Jones. And, I mean, we, we got to talk a little bit about Daniel Jones. I mean, he's their first-round pick, a top-ten quarterback. and I, So I guess I'll take the lead on this. And, Thank you know, <laughs> I spent a lot of time around Daniel Jones. I think I did, like, five different Duke games over the last two years. Um, so I've been around him a good bit. And I, I will say that I, I, I thought before the collarbone injury – this past year, particularly the Northwestern game, I thought that he was starting to come together. Um, my big concern with him was vertical accuracy. And if you go back to the Northwestern game, I thought it was his best display of touch throws down the field. Now, one of my concerns with Daniel Jones, obviously outside of limited physical talent, is how different David Cutcliffe's system got for him. You know, a lot of one read stuff, scheme throws get the ball out quick, take the thinking out of the quarterback's hands, which is very different from the days of Peyton, Eli Manning. And so it's kind of felt like an underrated storyline here that, you know, yeah, he came from that same quarterback guru and David Cutcliffe, but how different was that offense? And, And I thought that maybe that had something to do with the, with the talent around Daniel Jones. I don't know that there's going to be, a single NFL player on that offense, but certainly that was a pretty much, I'm not going to call it a Mickey mouse scheme because it's not quite, not quite what we see at Auburn or or Texas tech or something like that, but it's a big jump for Daniel Jones, considering a lot of the reasons he was praised as a potential top quarterback in this year's class. Yeah, I don't disagree as far as, the dynamics of the offense and how different they are. And I guess the luxury with Daniel Wright is he's not going to play this year. So no. the health of Eli Manning aside, you know, they're, they're going to ride Eli until Eli decides to call it a day, whether that's 2020, 2021. So they'll have their chance to, to have their hands on Daniel Jones and bring him along at a speed that should be friendly to him to kind of, sustain the friendly pieces of what working with David Cutcliffe provided him, but also put more on his plate as far as some more advanced NFL passing combinations and concepts. Yeah. So he'll have the time and he certainly, you know, everyone I've ever spoken to has raved about his intangibles and work ethic and his growth mindset. Um, And so that'll be important. And yeah, I mean, Dave Gettleman spent the last, six months defending Eli Manning. So, so uh, he's got a situation how he wants it and we'll see. Right. And, and it's that this gives them some time here to get things 
improved, you know, in terms of the receiving core a little bit, maybe even continuing to invest in the offensive line. I know right tackle, they just signed Mike Remmers, but I mean, there's a reason he's available. He really struggled with Carolina, struggled with Minnesota. Guess what? He's going to struggle with the Giants. So this gives them time to not only allow him to acclimate himself to the offense and get the playbook down, but also for the infrastructure around him to get better and give him that best chance to succeed, which it's going to be big, right? There's a, there's a lot in terms of, of Dave Gettleman being right and making sure that when Daniel Jones takes the field, he makes Dave Gettleman look smart. And so we'll see what happens when that all comes together. But I do like that. He does have the time to grow and get himself ready to play. Yeah. So I'm going to go quick here. I want to give love to two day three picks for the giants. Julian love 108 fourth round was my 43rd rated corner. Uh, he's another player who I think he has a little bit more upside in zone than what you get in DeAndre Baker, but he's very much cut from the same cloth as far as put him on the body, put him on a face, let him play physical. He's a great tackler. Uh, I really love the the similarities and strengths and weaknesses of the corners that the Giants brought in this year. Corey Ballantyne being the other one that I did want to recognize. He went 180. Uh, I had him 161. Um, and Ballantyne is just a world of potential. He's super aggressive. We talk about big fish in small ponds. Uh, he just physically dominated the competition at Washburn and, and played through all comers as far as people trying to block him and, and was really quick to process and attack balls. And the speed of that will be much quicker, obviously, at the, at the pro level. But I'm really encouraged by the anticipatory qualities that you see from him when he's playing off coverage. So they've got two guys in Baker and Love that I think are going to thrive most inside of five yards. Ballantyne has the tools to be successful there right now, but coming into the league, he, his best qualities are reactive quickness and ball skills. Ready to shift gears to the Redskins? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, this, was, uh, this class was a doozy, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to like. There's five picks that I really like, and they made a ton of picks. So uh, I got to talk about Dwayne Haskins, right? The, both, uh, both of these teams here we're talking about today took first-round quarterbacks. Two of the three 2019 first-round quarterbacks are in the NFC East. Haskins to the Redskins, and I like it. I like it a lot. I like him with Jay Gruden. I like the idea of putting him in an offense where, you know, it, it, there's a lot of timing involved and, and Dwayne Haskins, I thought his best ability at, at Ohio state was how well he worked in rhythm and slotted throws within five, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage against zone coverage. And, and I think that's what he's going to get a chance to do here in the NFL. And so I'm curious to see how they bring him along. I know they have Colt McCoy in the mix. They have Case Keenum in the mix. And Dwayne Haskins is a one-year starter uh, at Ohio State. And so there's a big step forward for him. But you can see the makings of this offense. I think it was kind of going into this draft. You and I had some discussions about, you know, who are the dudes on this offense? Who, you know, what, it's, what do we have to be scared about playing this team? Well, now they got a, an interesting direction at quarterback. We like, I know that you and I both love the, the two receivers. They drafted Terry McLaurin and Kelvin, Kelvin Harmon, especially at pick 206. We've got, you know, we've got Darius Geis coming back from injury, a good offensive line. All of a sudden we can see this coming together and Jay Gruden's a good offensive mind. So finally, I feel like we have some direction on this Redskins offense and they, they took a big step forward here with what they were able to get done in the 2019 draft. 
Yeah, no question. They came away with picks 15, 26, and 76 and came away with Haskins, Sweat, and McLaurin. That's just a really great job at the top of the draft. Uh, I I love the fact that you're going to keep the chemistry that Haskins and McLaurin had, Mm -hmm. even though McLaurin wasn't a huge volume piece of that offense at Ohio State. Those guys know each other pretty well. And and McLaurin, I think, will have the opportunity to run – some more diverse routes than what he got at Ohio state. But with that said, McLaurin, despite the fact that he's got some deep potential, I really like him in this Washington passing offense where he's going to be able to hopefully catch a lot of these strides from Haskins inside of 10, 15 yards in stride and then use his speed and kind of capitalize as a run after the catch type guy. Um, I've got no complaints with 15, 26 or 76 uh, the fourth round was a little weird for Washington, right? There are two picks in the fourth, Bryce Love and Wes Martin from Indiana. Uh, Wes Martin was one of the select few guys that I was vaguely familiar with but did not bother doing an actual write-up assessment on. Uh, but the Bryce Love pick especially, I get why because he's, he's speed, 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 right? You can't coach speed. You want explosive playmakers. And I, I suppose – because I don't trust Bryce Love from a vision perspective, pressing the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes the most sense to put him in a gap power style run, rushing attack. But he just, from a strengths and weaknesses perspective, does not feel like the kind of back that Washington would implement. You think about, you know, they, they got Darius Geis, and then it was, before that was Samaj P. Ryan and, and Rob Kelly. And was it, who was the Florida back? that they had too, Matt Jones. Mm-hmm. So they have all these like 220 plus like heavy hitter backs. And then you turn around and you take 190 pound Bryce Love. And that was the one pick for me that I really felt like missed the mark for Washington just because I'm sure they have a vision for him, but it went against a lot of their own trends. And it wasn't something that I was super excited about in part because I think Bryce Love is super fragile. And if you're going to use yeah. him in this kind of offense, you're exposing him to a lot of wear and tear. It's a, it just was early for me with Bryce Love, especially yeah, given his injury concerns, because you, you can you can get behind him as a space player, right? Kind of a kind of a gadget player, if you will, and, and a, a, at least a complimentary piece. But I think you get that in Chris Thompson. But now you got like two of the most injured dudes in the world, in Chris Thompson and Bryce Love trying to fit yeah. a role that has value to your offense to give you a different dynamic. Like you said, that their backs are kind of a certain style. And well, when you're trying to break the mold and give a change of pace and get a little bit more elusive and dynamic, well, you kind of need guys that are available. And and so they, they, they didn't really do that with Bryce Love or, or, you know, obviously Chris, Chris Thompson and his concerns. I really like this Jimmy Moreland pick in the seventh round, man. What a fun football player, yes. super competitive. You know, they, they, I like, you know, they've got a couple of young corners that I like. I like Greg Stroman a decent amount last year. And so, you know, Moreland, is an alpha. He's a little guy, but he's an alpha. We saw that quick at the shrine game. That's fun being on the sidelines there in St. Pete and getting, getting, you know, within feet of these guys and seeing how they interact and, and compete, man. And I think Jimmy Moreland might've been the, the, the smallest dude at the shrine game, but he might've had, you know, the biggest, uh, the biggest fight in him, you know, he's a dog and, and you love that in your slot corner. You want guys that are going to be able to mix it up, but he also gives you ball skills and coverage ability. I don't know how, he fell to the seventh round because this is exactly the type of slot corner the NFL is looking for. And to me, he has a chance to carve out 
a role here on this defense and give it some attitude on the back end and, and give them that prototypical type slot that uh, that teams love. So that was one of my favorite, you know, day three picks of any in the entire class. Yeah, so I had Jimmy Moreland 97. Oh, wow, game. that's a plus. And that's a, geez. Yep, huge plus to get him at 227 and then to get Kelvin Harmon, who I had 31st at 206. I mean, those those are, as far as the pick value chart experiment that I'm working on, those are two of the best 15 value picks in the entire draft. In the seventh round. Now, I was in the seventh round after pick 200. With that said, yeah, that's crazy. there is a reason these guys fell. Right, so th- there may have been some <laughs> error on my assessment. I'm I'm gonna ride with him now. You know, there's I mean, there was no medical reason for Kelvin Harmon to fall. I understand Jimmy Moreland falling because he's a small, small school corner. Right, there are teams that are gonna wipe their hands immediately right. and say, "Oh, well, you know, he's not big enough to play for us," or we'll we'll look at him as a UDFA. The Kelvin Harmon thing was super weird because it was like it just came out afterwards that they thought he was too slow <laughs> and he ran four six. So like maybe there's a lack of explosiveness there. And I remember like I watched Calvin Joe and I hit you up and I was like, wow, like I was really hoping for a little bit more explosiveness from Calvin Harmon. And then I put him 31st on my board. I didn't put him at like 200. So um, I think it's, it, it will be really interesting. I think Calvin really has a chance to, to far outshine his draft positioning here, but I am a little bit more leery of it now because the entire league sold on him like six yeah. times. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, so while I'm going to sit here and I'm going to call that one of the best value picks of this year's draft, I also now have to a- address that question in my own head and my own assessment. And I'm a little bit more skeptical, although I'm still super, super positive for the value for Washington at this point in the draft. And I, I feel like they got themselves a player, a potential start on the outside of the NFL, which you can't sleep on. No. Yeah. But I, I'm not quite, you know, if he would have fell to like one Oh six, sure. I'd be like, still in the praises here. I'd be like, look, like this is the player I thought it was. Teams just thought he was a little unexplosive, but they really sold on Kelvin Harmon. So I at least have a little bit of apprehension of that pick now. Yeah. And there, like you said, there's no medicals. It seemed like he's a plus character guy. You know, I just, that was one of the most confusing slides in the draft. I want to talk quickly about Montez sweat. Um, the other first round pick that they yeah. made there, this is a stylistic player that they've had success with in the past. Think about, you know, guys like, uh, like Preston Smith and Trent Murphy, and I know that he's probably going to be a more versatile guy, maybe even having some some stand-up responsibilities. But I like that there's been a path to success for a player like Sweat and that he goes to a situation where we've seen that happen. And so I had some concerns with Sweat in terms of just lack of real flexibility that you're looking for from an edge rusher and um, looking for some more more in terms of his pass rush variety, but I think this is the right team to maximize what he can be and getting him, you know, towards the end of the first round seemed like good value because up until probably the few days before the draft, this was a guy that people talked about in the top 10. Yeah. Um, By and large, great class for Washington, Joe, we have to rank these classes now. Yeah. Something we're assigned. Yeah. yeah. So the division, the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, the New York Giants, and the Washington Redskins. 
Who would you put last out of this group? Dallas. Dallas. I agree with you. And it's not even because they didn't have a first-round pick. So I know that sometimes it's like, oh, this team won the draft because they had three first-round picks. Like, no, that's not what I'm thinking. I don't think that they made all their picks count as well as they could have. I think that's a really nice assessment of that, especially because you're going to have such a steep difference with Philly having five picks and Washington having 10 picks. You know, it's not just the volume. It's what did you do and, and where did you acquire your talent? Yeah. So for me, I probably put New York third, even though New York drafted more alike my rankings with 11 picks than what the Eagles did with five. Um, I look at the top of that draft and I'm really excited about the trio that the Eagles brought in as where the value of a top 10 pick now to Daniel Jones for me hurts a little bit, even though I understand the thought process behind it. I would favor the Eagles class over the Giants class. I'm with you. I have the Giants third. I mean, I do like a lot of the players they drafted. I don't love your top 10 quarterback. And I wish that there was more done here to improve the right tackle situation. Would have liked to seen an earlier investment on an edge rusher. And, you know, as much as I do like Dexter Lawrence, I feel like in Dalvin Tomlinson, in BJ Hill, they kind of have players like that. And I'm pretty lukewarm on DeAndre Baker and they got other cornerbacks later in the draft. I just would have done it different. And I don't hate what they did. I just, for me and my personal evaluation, which is what we're talking about, I would have done it differently. And that's why they're third for me in this division. So, so if we cheat, right, we know what the draft order ends up looking like. But if we cheat, how would your first three picks for the Giants go? Um, that's interesting. I'd probably, I put, give, I, them, I'd probably give them Josh Allen at six. That's what that's a name that I was thinking as well. Yep. Or even if they mar- were married to Daniel Jones, they could have got Montez Sweat at seventeen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So if you're if you're absolutely married on getting Daniel Jones, I'd put him at 30 because I don't think he goes before that. I really don't. I don't see any threats to take Daniel Jones ahead of 30. I prob- probably would have gone with Josh Allen and then at 17. Man. Offensive tackle? Or Montez? No, because I'm taking Josh Allen at 6. I go Josh Allen at six, one of these offensive tackles, whether it's Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford, Dalton Reisman. Yep. I would have taken one of them at seven, and then I would have taken Daniel Jones at 30. So you get better at, I mean, literally the three premium positions in football, quarterback, edge rusher, and offensive tackle, you address those. You get better. Right. Yep. So. And then you still get Julian Love. Right. You still have, you still have that, that third round pick. At the end of the round, if, if you right. wanted O'Shane Zimenez, you could have got O'Shane Zimenez. So that's probably how I would have tackled. And then Washington, of course, for me, would be my top draft class. But Washington was one of the best drafts in the league, in my opinion. Same here. And I and top five class. Eagles at Eagles at number two. Uh the only reason I I you know the reason that they're number two is I don't know that Dillard helps them this year, which is okay. But I, I love the the skill sets they got in those two weapons and Miles Sanders and JJ Arcega Whiteside and the versatility that they offer and, and and how they fit into Doug Peterson's system where everyone needs to be able to kind of do everything. And I think they really fit and, and improves upon a, a, a deep 
pool of, of weapons for Carson Wentz in what I think is an important year for him. Well, never mind that they traded up and they still sustained both of their second round picks. Yep, big. Oh, so that that was a huge get for them as well. Uh, huge get for you guys starting tomorrow on Thursday. We're going to open up one more division this week. So come on back, hit subscribe, follow along with us as we put the final touches here on this 2019 NFL draft with our reactions division by division. I'm Kyle Krabs at Grinding the Tape, signing off with Joe Marino at the Joe Marino on Twitter. Thanks as always for listening. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.